Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Go with me if you go to Matthew chapter 15. In, in praying over and uh, just yielding to the Holy Spirit, I'll be honest, you know, a lot of times um, I used to back in the day build my message is more in line of like a sermon series. I'd kind of have an idea of a direction I wanted to go for maybe four weeks, six weeks at a time, something like that. And, and, and many times I'll end up there, but not always out of an intention. Many times I'll end up there because I'll open up something on week one and realize there's no way we can get all this out in one week, two weeks, three weeks. Uh, we know that, you know, I, I begin to discover as I'm ministering, okay, we're going to be here for a while. But then like what we did last month, I knew going into January that we were going to camp on living aware for a while. And so, you know, uh, in, in wrapping that up, I had kind of some ideas, you know, where are we going to go in February? What's going to be the next step? What are we going to look at? What are we going to journey into? And uh, the Lord just kind of led me to this. Okay, you taught them how to live aware. Now teach them what to be aware of. Teach them to be what, what, what to be aware of. If we're going to spend this year as God has spoken, this is the year of becoming aware. This is the year of a, the year of abiding. This is the year of living with a greater awareness. Then what are those things that the Father wants us to become aware of? You might remember we made this statement that, you know, many of us have become aware of the wrong things. Many of us become aware of the wrong things. So before I can become aware of the right things, I might need to unlearn the things I have become aware of. And how many of you know that unlearning something can be a difficult process? What do they say? You can't teach an old dog new tricks, right? There's just something about once we become entrenched in something that the enemy will use that against you. And if you look here in Matthew chapter 15, verse 1, this is kind of what Jesus is dealing with um, here in, in, uh, with the Pharisees. He's speaking to the Pharisees. In verse 1, it says some Pharisees and teachers. So these are people that are you know, ingrained in something. These are people uh, that have already, to a degree, been entrenched in something, developed a lifestyle in something. Uh, you know, you might remember in Hebrews chapter 5, Paul said, uh, by this time you ought to be teachers, meaning that there was a process you had to go to to become a teacher. You don't just all of a sudden learn something and say, I'm going to go teach that. No, there's a, there's a, a learning and a discovering and an entrenching, if you will, that's taken place. So he's talking to a group of people that, that aren't just, you know, casually doing this thing. This is some of the most invested of the religious community. Some of the most invested in the practices and the duties and the responsibilities and the doctrines and the theologies and the philosophies. These are not just your casual churchgoers, if you will. Your casual, uh, just get to it when I can. These were studiers of, at that time, the scriptures, which were the Old Testament, of course. The New Testament is being written at this time. It's literally being lived out before them. But they still had scripture. They still had a book of religious code and principle that they aligned their lives with and lived by and held to. And so he says, or it says, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law now arrive from Jerusalem to see Jesus. And they asked him, why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. Now, let's just clarify this. It is good to wash your hands before you eat. Let's just go ahead and get that out of the way. This is a good uh, practice just to uh, have good hygiene. It's good to wash your hands before you are touching food. Yes, 
We're not counter, that's not a counterfeit statement. We're not contradicting this. We're not coming up with some new age theory that, that it doesn't matter if I touch it. It's blessed food and it's going to be strength and nourishment to my bodies. I prayed over it. I got it from Chick-fil-A. It's pre-blessed food already. It's Christian chicken. You still need to wash your hands. Amen. Wash your hands before you eat. No, they're not talking about a practice of good hygiene. They're talking about a ceremonial practice, a religious ritual that they had developed that in their eyes made them more spiritual. That in their eyes made them approved of God. That in their eyes added an element to their spiritual walk. That and, and, and you'll notice many of these religious practices that these Pharisees and Sadducees have are not in private. They're for public display. Right, We remember the story of, of the man that was a sinner that was crying out to God, oh God, I'm a sinner and, and I've blown it. And then on the right across the street, you got a Pharisee doing his prayer just as loudly and just as boldly. But, oh, I, I thank you that I'm a righteous man and I thank you that I've got it. But it was always for public consumption. It was always to put themselves on display. It was always, let me just put it to you this way. If your spiritual works bring more glory to you than they do to God, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. And what had happened was these traditions and these rituals and these practices were a way for these individuals to display their love for God. Now, I'm not... I'm not contradicting the bearing of fruit either, but this isn't the bearing of fruit that glorifies the Father that we learned about in John chapter 15. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. There is still fruit produced. Your life will be on display. Your life will be an open book that either uh, uh, supports the truth that I love the Lord and I follow him in all his ways, or I love the Lord with my lips, but my heart is far from him. One way or another, fruit will come out. But the intention and the the purpose and the motive of these religious scribes and elders and teachers and Pharisees was not for the glorification of the Father, it was for the glorification of themselves. That's why I would drag a woman caught in adultery into the middle of the street because it makes me look better. And it makes, at, at her expense, I look a certain way. I look the part. So they have this age-old tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. And this is the other thing about the things that, that, that we find ourselves building traditions on. The, find, we, the things that we find ourselves relying upon for our spiritual development and our spiritual uh, you know, growth journey is the enemy doesn't tempt you with evil. He tempts you with good. A good thing can get you off track just as much as an evil thing. So we've got to learn not to just discern between good and evil, but between good and God. Because this sounds like a great tradition. It sounds like something good. It sounds like, 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 it looks on the outside, just the external layer looks like something that will benefit you, looks like something that would be, but at the end of the day, look at what Jesus' response is in verse um, three. You get that later? Verse three says, Jesus replied, and why do you buy your traditions? violate the direct commandments of God. Your traditions cause you to actually stand in the way of God's command. These good traditions that you have developed, our age-old tradition, we've been doing this forever. This is what we created. This is what we developed. This is what we decided. Remember when when, when when the snake came to Eve in the garden in Genesis chapter three, You go back, 
he didn't tempt her with fruit. If you think she was tempted with fruit, you've missed the whole point of the story. He says, for God knows that in the day you eat the fruit, you will be more like him. Now, maybe many of you haven't really painted the devil in the light of someone that wants you to be more like God. I thought he would want us to be less like God. What an interesting temptation. See, this is the enemy lives in deception. That's his territory. That's his land. As much as I can hide, as much as I can conceal, as much as I can trick, as much as I can manipulate. I mean, we get insight in verse one of Genesis chapter three. He's the most cunning beast of the field. He's tricky. He's deceptive in his tactics. He doesn't just come right out and and, and offer you evil. He hides it in something that looks good. He laces good actions with evil intents. Do I want to be more like God? Absolutely. But not at the expense of dishonoring his word. And his word says, do not eat of the fruit of the tree or else you will surely die. I'm not going to be more like God by disobeying God. So he takes something that seems good. He knows that in the day you eat of it, you'll be more like him, knowing good and evil. In essence, this is what the devil's saying. He's withholding something from you. God's trying to keep something from you. God's trying to, he's been holding out on you, but but there's something he doesn't want you to get access to, but you eat the fruit of the tree. that's, That's how you get to it. And so we end up with dishonorable actions. We end up with actions that we think are leading us to a path of getting closer to the Father closer to the Lord, closer to his word, when actually, in actuality, we're going in the opposite direction. In actuality, we are violating the very scripture he's put in place. I can tell you this right now, God doesn't need his scripture added to or taken from. It's perfect just the way it is. It it is the path that you you can follow every step he's laid out. But you know who else knows scripture really well? The devil. Oh, he knows it real good. He knows it so well, he was bold enough to quote scripture to scripture. He was bold enough to quote the word to the word, made flesh and dwelling among us. Doesn't it say that if you cast yourself down from here, his angels will take care of you? Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. There's power in the word. There's power in honoring the word. There's power in valuing the word. There's power in knowing the word. But but there's one who comes as a tempter, as a deceiver, as an accuser of the brethren, as the greatest manipulator that this planet has ever seen that will use the very word to twist our actions and our motives and our intents, and we end up off track. No, he says, uh, why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God. This tells us this, that I can, if I'm not careful, become aware of the wrong things. This tells me that I can accept wrong ideas that are not of God, but they look like God. This tells me that I can buy into and even live out in regular duty and regular practice. And nobody else would even know the difference without discernment by the Spirit of God. Nobody else would know because I can. it allows us to play the part. It allows us to go through the programs. It allows us to go through the rituals. It allows us to check all the boxes. That's what religious activity will do. Religious activity will keep you busy. You just won't be purposeful. We sacrifice purpose on the altar of busyness. We sacrifice true uh, change and true effort and true uh, 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 aligning with God's plan on the altar of attending every meeting, going through the doors every time they're open, uh, you know, just filling our days and filling our time with religious activity. Now, again, I'm not saying those actions in and of themselves are wrong, but the motive becomes impure when I think doing this gets me this. Now, I'm not 
I'm obviously not giving you an excuse just to be out of church. Giving you an excuse to just go weeks on end without reading. Well, you know, there, there is a group today in 2023 that is afraid of spiritual discipline for the fear of becoming a hypocrite or a Pharisee. That's sad too. You're just as deceived as the people that, that, that are doing it on a regular basis for the, with the wrong motives and intents. He's not, a, he's not telling us to abandon something. He's telling us to align something with the Father's true heart. Amen. So we recognize that if we're not careful, we will entrench ourselves in these traditions. We will entrench ourselves in the old way of doing something. We will entrench ourselves. And I can tell you right now, especially in a room this size with this many people, easily, there are multiple experiences and exposures and backgrounds and, and, and ideas and denominations and, and all kinds of ways, things that we've come from, gone through, bought into, accepted, denounced, uh, uh, aligned with, chosen not to align with. I mean, you know, a, a, a lot of people simply choose a church based on what already aligns with what they already believe. And so our pretense already is, do they agree with what I believe rather than getting in a church that preaches the word, loves the word, loves the Lord, loves people, serves people, builds people and say, I need to make sure I'm in alignment with this. Not just because so-and-so saying it and uh, denomination so-and-so saying it and preacher so-and-so saying it and sister so-and-so saying it and brother so but because of the word. Because of the word. This is the greatest aligner there is on the planet. This is the greatest way to align. Well, what gets skewed? Our interpretations. I see a scripture, you see a scripture, and we see two view, viewpoints. It's one thing to see multiple ways in a scripture that can be applied that all still keep it in context, in continuity. And it's another to read a scripture and both of us come to two opposing arguments and conclusions. I mean, I've read verses uh, this year already that have spoken to me something different than when I read it last year when I was doing my Bible reading plan. And in 21 and 20 and 19 and 18 and, and so on and so forth, as long as I've been doing a Bible reading plan, reading the same scriptures. But I've had some step out and, and stand out to me differently this year. 33, four days in, already seen some new scriptures in some new light, but they don't oppose and contradict what the Lord has been building on. And we've been discovering on Wednesdays that this revelation knowledge by the Holy Spirit, it builds on itself. That once I am revealed this and I attain to this and I apply this, now God can reveal more to me. It's never ending revelation that this book contains. But when I start running into revelation that contradicts past revelation, now we got a problem because the word's never going to contradict itself. The Holy Spirit will never contradict himself. You can team Jesus and the Holy Spirit up against each other all you want. They're not going to do it. They're in a complete agreement. Now, there are plenty of times I've read a scripture and received insight to revelation that revealed a tradition I used to believe. Now I'm at a crossroads, and am I going to uphold my tradition above God's command, or am I going to value God's revelation above my tradition and sacrifice my tradition? This is a kingdom church. And we don't just throw that term out because it's trendy and, and, and it sounds churchy and scriptural. When, when we say kingdom, we understand that this entire book is about a king, his kingdom, and his royal offspring. The whole thing. God wasn't trying to create Christians. He wasn't trying to create Christianity. He wasn't trying to give you religious practice and formality. He's trying to establish a government system here on earth that looks like heaven and that rules and manages and changes this earth to look like heaven. Government is God's greatest answer to the man to man's problem today. It's just not the government you're thinking. 
And so when you start living and applying and seeing kingdom throughout God's word, I'm going to tell you right now, the number one, uh, number, two things that's going to oppose. We've said this before. I'm just going to redress it. Two things the kingdom's going to oppose. Number one, religion. The kingdom and religion, you cannot have both. It's impossible. The kingdom destroys religion every single time. Destroys it. I ministered a, a, a message last year on kingdom versus religion. And you can go find it online and, and refresh your memory on what those differences are, how they, 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 a lot of what we thought was kingdom wasn't even close to being kingdom when you really understand how God's kingdom works. The second thing kingdom is going to, if you make it past the religion test, the second thing it's going to come up against is an American democratic mindset. We honestly, in 2023, we might be, in the United States of America, the hardest people to convince to live fully kingdom. You can do it because I've done it. And it took me a while to get past some things. But there's too much that we love and uphold and value in this country that you're going to have to sacrifice if you want to live God's real principle of what the kingdom. I'm not talking down to our country. I love our country. I love our principles, but it's man's best attempt still fails in comparison to what God has established. And when you understand you have a king that loves you and has your best interest at heart, it's easy to take his word at law and it's a final say. And I don't, there's no voting in the kingdom of God. You didn't vote Jesus as Lord. When you make Jesus Lord, you're choosing to align with what he already is. You're not, well, uh, you know, we can't use the line that we like to use here in our country. Well, he's not my president. Well, he's not my Lord. Well, he is Lord. And guess what? One day every knee will bow and every tongue. You might as well do it voluntarily before you get voluntold. Some people are going to be voluntold. He's your Lord. And then it'll be too late. Yeah, there's, it, when you start living the kingdom life and you start getting in the word, let me just tell you right now, you're going to have to learn to be comfortable going upstream. Anybody learned over the last three years to just embrace being countercultural? It just looks different, guys. It just looks different. That doesn't mean that I'm picking apart everything that everybody says and everything that everybody does. You know, I do not. The, the last thing I want is to become judgmental and critical and cynical and skeptical. That's not what the, that's not what God wants from us. He just wants us to shine the light of the kingdom and those that see it and enter in great. Those that don't see it and, and choose, you just, he said, wipe the dust off your feet, go on to the next town. I don't need to debate it. I don't need to have a, a theological uh, study with you. I don't need to, you know, have this Instagram comment war in the, in the comment section with you. I don't need to point out everybody that I think is doing it the wrong way. Just live the kingdom life. But it does at times. You scroll through things and you hear things and you see things like, mm, yeah, that's not kingdom. You hear statements, and what you're hearing is man's traditions butting up against kingdom commandments. That's what you're hearing. Probably if you've been in our church for any length of time, this has already happened in your life. Most likely. Again, I don't get up here to destroy everybody's sacred cows and religious ideas. But we, we're going to have to be able to tolerate, Father, what is the, how do I rightly divide the word of truth? Because if I can rightly divide it, I can wrongly divide it. If I can rightly divide the word of truth, then I can come to wrong conclusions as well. I can believe the wrong things. And then what we do, we, we take it a step further and we create groups that believe in line with us. And we put a, a, a churchy professional name on it called denomination. Really, denominations are just preferences. 
I just prefer this style or I prefer this word or these people believe what I believe or I want to just be the word of God. Uh, you know, we, we've obviously for years say we're a non-denominational church, but now non-denominational is a denomination. <laughs> they just, oh, you're of the non-denominational denomination. <laughs> it's just the, but what do we mean by that? We mean we just preach the word. What does your church preach? What does your church believe? We preach the word. If it's in the Bible, we believe it. If it's not, we don't. If he said it, I believe it, that settles it. Hello. That settles it. That settles it. Amen. So, we have these traditions and we become entrenched and they, they put us in a posture where we actually begin to violate the very word that he came, that he brought to deliver our lives. Go with me to Ephesians chapter four. While you're going there, I want them to throw the amplified version of Matthew 15, one on the screen for me. You can look at this while you're turning to Ephesians chapter four in Matthew 15, verse one, then from Jerusalem came scribes and Pharisees and said, why do your disciples transgress and violate the rules handed down by the elders of the past? For they do not practice ceremonially washing their hands before they eat. He replied to them, and why do you transgress and violate the commandment of God for the sake of the rules handed down to you by your forefathers, the elders? So once again, we just see this reinforcement that if we're not careful, we will build up natural man-made ideas and natural man-made traditions that literally combat and challenge and confront the very command of God. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, we want to become aware of the right things. This is what Paul says. Verse 17, with the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. Verse 19 says, they have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice Every kind of impurity. Sounds like the world we're living in today. Have you noticed that that one thing that the world has completely lost the sense of is shame and guilt? Now, I'm not talking about believers because I know that those are things that we've been delivered from. There is therefore now no condemnation. But what what happens when you go down a path that's so evil and so opposite of God's plan that you become desensitized in your heart, you don't even feel shame and guilt. There's a celebration of it. We went from tolerating to celebrate it. And it happened quick. I mean, in in, in just the context of time, I'll be 40 years old this year, and when I was 10, 11, 12, you just started to see the introduction of same-sex stuff. I, I felt in the 90s, I think, the show Friends was one of the first ones that really just blatantly introduced it. And today, I mean, there is no more coming out of the closet. There is no closet. Like, we've given you a parade. We've given you the street. I go a step further. We went from celebrating it now to encouraging it. 
You thought celebrating it was bad enough and the flags and the parades. and the, Now they say, you need to really find out if you are. Then how do we get here? It's the desensitization, the, uh, being, becoming desensitized in your heart. Evil is a terrible thing. The wages of sin is death. It's always been death. It's never, never, ever paid out any differently. When you go at the end of the two weeks and you have cut time with, with you know, working for uh, evil, at the end of the two weeks on payday, death is what you get. Now, it seemed pleasurable in the, in the, in the, in the moment at the time. Bible tells us that. Even sin seems pleasurable at the time. But in the end, it pays out in death. The wages of sin is death. Separation. That, that, that word death carries many connotations, but it, it, it obviously at its easiest simplistic form is death separation from the Father. There is no life. You're cut off from life. Well, it began in verse 18 saying that their minds were full of darkness. They wandered, they wandered from the life God gives, verse 18, because they have closed their minds. They closed their minds and they hardened their hearts. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind. That's one thing about sin is it never satisfies. It's one thing about sin is it never satisfies. It always leaves you at the end wanting more, doing more. Not just increasing in the quantity or the activity of it, but increasing even in the quality of it. There are some people in our world, it's not just uh, the amount of sinful activity, it's how well they do it, how good they are at it. Now, when we were in darkness and we come into light, we were in that bunch. You say, well, I may not have done it as well as others. And some of you in this room may say, I was, I was one of the best. I was really good at sinning. And that's okay. You saw the light. You came into the kingdom of God. You were transformed. You were made new, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. We'll throw it up on the screen behind me real quick. Verse 17 says, in the New Living, it reads, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has become has begun the old is gone the new is begun but guess what sticks around in that transition guess what hangs around old traditions i've come into the kingdom but now guess what i've got to become aware of new things i've got to become aware of kingdom things because there's a part of me that still remembers and still wants to do the lustful things, the impure things, the wrong things, the sinful things, the things that pleased you. And I know, you know, a lot of us come into the kingdom with the promise of when you die, you will get to be in heaven with the Father. But we're not really directed as how can I lay down the old traditions and take up the new commands? How can I keep from becoming one that is still living by man-made, selfish, pleasurable agendas rather than taking on the true heart of the Father? Transformation at this point in Christ is spiritual. Just to break it down, you are a spirit. That is who you are. You are a spirit. You possess a soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions. 
and you live in a body, a, a fleshly, not just the fleshly body physically that we can see, but a fleshly nature. Now, when you come into the kingdom, the spirit part of you is made brand new. Brand new. Reborn. We saw this a few weeks ago with uh, uh, Nicodemus. And, and uh, you know, Jesus told him, You're gonna be, you need to be born again to see the kingdom of God, right? And he said, how can one go back into his mother and then be born again? Pretty weird thing to say, Nicodemus. That, that's, that's where your brain went. That's like, that's the best you could do with that analogy. Maybe possibly he's being figurative in this statement. But, he, you know, Nicodemus just goes straight to the literal, man. He's like, ah, what? How do we do that? No, we obviously know it's not naturally being born again, spiritually being born again. Now, that spirit man on the inside of you is brand new. In fact, that word new in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, new creation, that it, it denotes something that actually never existed before. I mean, we didn't just take the, the, the vehicle to the body shop and get some work done. We took it to the, uh, you know, wherever you take the scrapyard and traded it out for a completely brand new vehicle that's never, no miles on it. But now I've got to learn to discover what this new man is all about what this new life is all about. I know this might seem basic and elementary, but I promise you there are some things, even from when we became born again, no matter how long you've been born again, that we've held on to that are keeping the old traditions alive and causing us to violate new commands, violate the kingdom of God, stand in the way of God's plan and God's purpose. We're going to look here, uh, you, you continue reading in Ephesians chapter 4. Let's look at verse, uh, read 18 again. No, 19, 19. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly, eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But look what verse 20 says. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Now, later on in this, in this passage here, he's going to tell you to do things like stop stealing. Use your hands for good work. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful. Uh, Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit. Get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, all these different things. But, But this is what Paul is saying because Paul's a pastor and now writing to them as an apostle. This is what he's saying. I'm not just telling you this. I'm teaching you this. This one thing, to, to be in a, in a position and just tell somebody, hey, do this, right? I mean, when, when I coached my son's baseball, team, baseball teams, I learned pretty quick that I, I need to have a parent meeting, not just a kid meeting. I need to have a parent meeting. And one of the key things that parents do, and I'm guilty of it, my wife is guilty of it, because that's what you do as parents, is you tell them stuff as they're batting. Keep your head in. Keep your shoulders back. Bend your knees. You know, y'all you remember that video? What was it, a 2D talk? You know, where you're like, by, by the end of all your uh, instructions to this little kid, he looks like this. <laughs> Doing everything you told me. And I feel really weird and awkward. I'm not going to be able to hit anything right now. It's real easy to sit on the other side of the fence and tell a kid to do something. I have the job of teaching them to do something. And the goal is, is if I teach them, when they get in the batter's box, I won't have to tell them. All I have to say is, go get them. Go after it. The worst is when they swing and miss, and then the dads are like, what are you doing? What are you swinging at that for? You need a ladder to get that one. I've heard it all, man. I've heard it all. 
And sure, on the inside, you're like, what are, are you serious? You're going to let that one go right down the middle, and you're swinging at the one that's two feet outside. Okay, I see what we're doing here. But that, that doesn't help, does it? I just, I just read a, a thing that we saw on the Internet to Camden uh, and my wife both. It was a mom. Uh, she's in the kitchen making dinner. And the kid comes in and says, be careful, mom. It's hot. Don't drop it. Hey, you do this. Okay, remember to take that out. And just giving all these instructions. And the mom's like, what are you doing? I know how to make dinner. And the kid's like, I just want you to know what I feel like when I'm standing there trying to hit the ball. And you keep telling me what to do and not to do. Is that good? That's pretty good. I'm just helping all the ball parents here. It's uh, February. We're about to get into ball season right now. Just trying to help you guys out. Be quiet. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. Now, Paul's not telling them, stand up straight, do it right, bend your knees, don't swing at that, do this. No, he said, you have not so learned Christ. That's not what I taught you. See, the expectation is we come into the kingdom and old traditions die and new commandments live. No. And, and, and the ones that need more teaching are the ones that have already become entrenched in old ways. I remember we had one team, I don't know, came was probably five or six. And, and you could tell that this kid already had some wrong, uh, you know, instruction with baseball. And now there's dad on the other side. And so, I, you know, I, that's one thing I had to put in my little parent meeting. When we're inside the fence, they're mine. When they're outside the fence, they're yours. You don't tell me how to coach, I won't tell you how to parent. You just got to have the conversation because now I'm having to, what's best for the team and everything you taught him, not even close. That one parent that wanted his kid to just use a big bat. No, he can do it. No, he can't. The bat is swinging him. He is not swinging the bat. You don't need a drop three and you're six years old. This ain't working. What? We, we learn things. And now this unlearning process comes in and we have this expectation. I gave my life to the Lord. I prayed the prayer. I'm going to church now. I'm reading the, and there's a learning that needs to take place. I mean, it's easy to read Paul's statement. It's just stop being bitter. Stop being angry. Stop cussing. Stop sinning. Stop doing this. No, you got to remember he pastored these people. It's very difficult to tell someone something you haven't developed a relation with to teach them and train them and walk with them in it. And when they fail, you're there to pick them up, not tell them how bad they did when they failed. Hello. These are just basic principles that help people grow and become aware of the right things. Basic principles that help us abide in him. He goes on to say in, uh, let's read verse 20 again, but that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus, verse 21, and have learned the truth that comes from him. He has to clarify. Now you're gonna have to be careful because there's a lot of truths out there. Everybody's got their truth. In fact, I think even last year or a year ago, a couple of years ago, there was this whole discover your truth. No, there's only one truth. And the way, the truth, the life is the only way to get to the Father. Proverbs 19, verse 21, you don't have to uh, turn there. It says uh, in the Passion Translation, a person may have many ideas concerning God's plan for his life, but only the design of God's purpose will succeed in the end. So as I'm learning his commands, I've got to lay down my traditions. I've got to lay down my ways of doing something. To become aware of the right things, I need to unlearn and undo the wrong things. Paul even told a church, I don't remember which church it was, but said, uh, be careful that no one 
present to you a different gospel. A different gospel. One that brings you to a different conclusion other than what the word of God says. The Bible also tells us, just go one step further, that in the last days, there will be those that have itching ears. I'd tell you right now, if you have itching ears, you will never be at a loss for someone to tell you what you want to hear. Paul even told Timothy, he said, they will heap up for themselves, teachers. Then don't, aren't we seeing that today? So many aberrations and so many uh, uh, ideologies, so many differences of the word of God. I think God knew, I'm going to write this book and I'm going to put everything in it that needs to be in it. I'm going to put nothing in it that doesn't need to be in it. And they're going to get it. They can figure it out with the power of the Holy Spirit. I understand this. This book can be confusing. This book, there's a lot to it. You go from Genesis to, to, to Revelation. There's a lot here. But apparently God saw fit that this would be enough along with his Holy Spirit for you and I to live according to his purpose. And guess what? We'll still be held accountable for it. Whether you thought it was hard or not. Come on. We're still going to stand before him and honor, did we do what he said with what he gave us? Okay. He says, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, verse 22, throw off your old sinful nature and your former ways of life. That is how aggressively we ought to handle our prior traditions. Not pray about which ones we want to keep and which ones we want to eliminate. Not take weeks and weeks. Okay, fine. Not, not out of obligation. He says, throw it off, man, aggressively. Get rid of that. It serves no purpose in your life. Let that thing go. Throw off the old nature. Throw off the old traditions. Throw off the old ways of doing things. Throw off the old ideas. Throw off. Since you have learned Christ, throw it off. That means I can learn Christ and keep my traditions. There's still another step beyond that. It's not automatic. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Lust to please myself and deception to hide something that looks right but is really wrong. That's the two places the world lives in today. What's in it for me? Lust, selfish ambition. And how can I make it look good even though on the inside I know it's wrong? A whitewashed tomb, taking care of the outside, but doing nothing with the inside. Throw off your old sinful nature. Verse 23 says, instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. So watch this. Your spirit is not renewed. Your spirit is reborn. Your spirit is not, let's fix it up and dress it up and just do the best we can with what we've got. Your spirit's reborn, made brand new, new creation in Christ. But now your attitudes and your behaviors and your thoughts and your intents and your purposes and your ideas, they need to be renewed. So God does the work on the inside that we cannot do. We cannot make our spirits new. We do not have the ability or the capacity to do that. But now, because he made the spirit new, I have the choice, I have the decision, I have the ability to make this new. To be renewed in the spirit, in my attitudes, and my behaviors. He makes new my spirit. I am responsible for making new my soul, the mind, the will, the emotions. Hold your finger there and go to Romans chapter 12 just to reiterate this. Romans chapter 12, I'm going to read this out of the Amplified. In verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, 
brethren, and beg of you in view of all the mercies of God to make a decisive dedication. It's squarely, the responsibility is squarely on us. Don't ask God to renew your thoughts. Don't ask God to take away something. It's up to you to throw off and put on. For some of you, that might be a tradition that just got crucified. But throw it off. I don't ask God to do what he's asked me to do. And I don't expect of me to do something only God can do. There's his part and there's my part. Well, when God takes away this this addiction and this desire, no, throw it off. Throw it off. And he wouldn't tell you to do something you couldn't do. Throw it off. That's your responsibility. I gave you a new spirit. I made you brand new on the inside. Now live according to the new man on the inside and quit contaminating you with the stuff on the outside. Throw it off. Let it go. Don't just, well, you know, little by little, just just seven more days. Man, in the moment, right there. This is not living in me. I'm not living with this lust. I'm not living with this desire. I'm not living with this hurt and with this pain. I'm throwing that off. They offended me. They hurt me. They came against me. I'm throwing that off. There are things that need to be thrown off in our lives. And I can't put on until I throw off. Got to let it go. He says, make a decisive dedication of your bodies presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, and consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, rational, and intelligent service and spiritual worship. It can't be any more clear. We are the ones to make the dedication, the commitment, the decision. I'm offering my faculties, my members, my life, my decisions, my attitudes, my actions to the Father. I'm submitting them to the Lord because he can do with them what I can't. And until I throw them off, I will be subject to old traditions, old ways. And in doing so, will violate his command for my life. He said, you have violated my commandments for your traditions. Your traditions. Verse 2 says this. Do not be conformed to this world, this age, fashioned after and adapted to its external, superficial customs. You know, conditioning, conditioning, becoming conditioned. You know, there's the conditioning like in the exercise idea you condition your body have you done conditioning you know all athletes they do conditioning so that they can compete at a certain level the conditioning allows you to compete and allows you to work and give effort to a certain degree but conditioning of the mind conditioning of the mind that's a tough one And what we we may not have realized all along is the enemy was conditioning our minds. He was conditioning us to become conformed. Conditioning doesn't happen instantaneously. Conditioning happens in slow, incremental phases, little by little, sometimes without even knowing you're becoming conditioned to it. That's how the enemy operates. Now watch. Do not be conformed or conditioned to this world, fashioned after and adapted to its external superficial customs. I'll add, maybe without even being, without even recognizing. Look at the response. 
but be transformed. Notice he doesn't say, don't be conformed to the world, conform to my way. No, no, no. He says, don't be conformed to the world slowly, slowly, a little bit over time. Be transformed instantaneously in the moment by the renewing of your mind. Meaning, one requires intentionality. The other one, I can lackadaisically, complacently become conformed to the world. I don't even have to give any effort or input at all, and I can become conformed to something. This is not about brainwashing you. This is not about, uh, you know, you becoming a cult. This is not about you slowly becoming conditioned to all of a sudden I, I live by faith. All of a sudden I believe God. All of a sudden I do the right actions. No, 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 no. This is intentionally, decisively dedicating my life and my decisions and my actions to submit to the plan and will of God. The answer for conforming is transforming. The way that I keep from slipping into the ways of the world is by intentionally choosing to live according to the ways of the kingdom. You're not going to ease literally, you're not going to, ah, you're not going to slip into the ways of the kingdom. You're not going to passively, the violent take it by force means you're going to have to go after this thing. You're going to have to go with some intentionality, with some decision, with, with, some, with some intent and purpose. I will never be the same. I will throw this off. I will put this on. I will let this go. I will put, become this person. Intentionally going after the things of the kingdom. Nobody makes a, pass, nobody makes a good passive Christian. Nobody. It's by force you enter into this thing. Be transformed, changed by the entire renewal of your mind by its new ideals and its new attitudes. Now, I'm also not implying that this happens overnight. I'm just letting you know you can make the decision overnight. But renewing the mind is a process. It takes time, but I intentionally make the decision. And from there, my mind becomes renewed. My mind becomes, my life is transformed by my decision. I'm not living this way. I'm not accepting that. I'm not giving in. And now the renewal process takes place. I put it to you this way. You could come into this kingdom and, and become, you, or, and let's, let's put it this way. You can come into the United States from another country, technically what they call an alien, a foreigner. You can become a United States citizen overnight. You got to spend time here, of course, there's a process, but in the moment, you are now a United States citizen. But learning the ways of the United States, that's going to take some time. As we drive on a different side of the road, our words mean different things than your words mean, different language. Well, guess what? You're coming out of a dark nation into the nation of God, the kingdom. I can come in in the moment, come down, I give my life to Christ, man, and now I'm choosing to put off and to put on. But guess what? I'm going to spend some time now renewing my mind. I don't want to slip back into the old ways. I don't want to uh, just, you know, passively become what I used to be. I want to intentionally become what I am called to be. You see, when you become born again, we addressed this a few weeks ago. When you become born again, it was not to get redeemed from something. It was to get redeemed for something. And we've made being born again, salvation, all about what I have left behind. And God says, you have no idea what is yet to be discovered, yet to be accomplished, yet to be done, yet to be seen, yet to be said. It's a journey. It's an experience. It's a discovery. And what I'm laying behind has nothing on what I'm yet to gain. I consider it all. Dung is what Paul said. 
to obtain the glory of God. Being born again is not about having a greater revelation of what I've been set free from than what I have been set free for. I live my life, thank God, oh, with gratitude, with humility. I couldn't do that. I couldn't set myself free. I couldn't put those lusts down. I couldn't abandon that life. I couldn't throw off that nature. Thank God I can leave that behind. But even more so, thank God that there is such a life still yet in front of me to discover and walk into. And I refuse to let the, 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 the limit of my life, the ceiling of my Christian livelihood is, thank God I'm not one of those. And thank God I don't have to have that. And thank God I've been set free. No, I want the ceiling to be what is yet to be discovered. And I break through that ceiling and there's even more beyond that. Entire renewal of the mind by its new ideals and its new attitudes so that you may prove for yourselves what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That will of God that we all pursue, that we all want, that we all want to live. I prove it. I produce the will of God in my life. I produce the will of God in my life. Even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in his sight for you. Let's jump back over to Ephesians chapter 4. Let's wrap this up. Verse 23, Ephesians 4, 23. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Guys, we cannot renew our thoughts and our attitudes on our own. We need the Spirit's help. We need the Holy Spirit to renew us, to to inform us, to fill us in. He is, uh, in one sense, your tour guide in the kingdom of God. Many of us listen to the Holy Spirit to get us to the door and then left him at the door and decided to try to discover the kingdom all by ourselves. No, the Holy Spirit is there to say, hey, let me show you something. Come on. Look at this. Yeah, you want this. Here, let me show you around. Over here, we have peace. Over here, we have joy. Over here, we have provision. Over here, we have validation. In this room, right right over here. In this room, we have power and demonstration. Over here, we have healing from all kinds of sickness and disease. This is all yours in here. But most of us let the Holy Spirit get us to the door. Oh, wow. I'll take it from here. And we wonder why we're walking back in. We wonder why we're still living in the old former way. Having trouble throwing off. Why? Because he's there to renew your mind. Oh, Holy Spirit, I'm not feeling too good today. Oh, hey, that's okay. We we got something over here for you. No, I mean, you know, he's probably just trying to teach me something. Oh, no, that's an old former tradition. I got something better for you. By his stripes, you were healed. (laughs) Worship team, if you come. Can we just let the Holy Spirit do his job? Holy Spirit, renew me in my mind and in my attitudes. Show me the new way to think. Show me the new way to, to believe. Show me the new, new way to live. Show me the new way to respond when someone calls me out. That I don't have to respond back in hatred, in bitterness and anger, and then carry that for the rest of my life. Well, the Holy Spirit can show you how to put on love. Holy Spirit can show you how to put on forgiveness. Holy Spirit can show you how to lay down a fence. Putting off the traditions of man. Putting on the new life in him. Wow. Verse 24. Put on your new nature. Created to be like 
God. What's he saying? We're just calling you to function the way God designed you to function. It's like what we've been talking about the last few weeks. It's easy. Abiding in him, living in him, it's easy. Just live there. Dwell there. It's as easy as taking a breath, dwelling in his presence, not striving, toiling. I'm living according to the new life he's provided. No guilt, no shame, no condemnation, no inferiority complex, no insecurities, no brokenness. Holy Spirit comes to help you put on the new man. The new man that at 2 Corinthians 5, 17, old is gone and new has come. But you and I have the responsibility. Am I going to trade the old for the new? Out with the old, in with the new. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.